Countrywide on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by the Irish Farmers Journal. Now with our highest ever readership of 321,000 weekly readers. And now on RTE Radio 1, it's time for Countrywide with Marty Morrissey. Countrywide on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by the Irish Farmers Journal, bringing 295,000 readers the latest farming news and the best of rural Ireland weekly. Good morning and welcome to the programme. Coming up between now and nine o'clock, looking at the year ahead in farming, food and the environment, we've a panel discussion. Recently retired Irish rugby captain Kieran Griffin goes back to her farming roots and helping micro businesses get up and running in 2022. Text 51551, email countrywide at rte.ie and tweet at RTE Countrywide. Yes, and it's uh, David O'Reilly here. I'll do my best Marty Morrissey impression between now and nine o'clock. It has been a bumpy start to 2022. We do hope that you made it through the first week of this new year. We're glad you can join us. It's good to have your company at this hour of the morning. And as the mornings are getting a little brighter, we look forward to another year of stories, sounds and voices from across the country on Countrywide. Now, as we've noticed in recent times, there's a great deal of growing interest among school students in issues relating to climate, biodiversity, sustainability and how we should manage the land. One example of this is a group of students in Art School Namara in Tremor County Waterford, our first port of call for this year. They've set up a group calling themselves the Climate Cafe and Ella McSweeney went to visit the school a few weeks ago to find out more. Here in Tremor in County Waterford, a group of students at Ardskull Namara have come together to find ways to fight the twin climate and biodiversity crises for the new year. Anyone wants your coffee or a hot chocolate? Uh, Penguin boss? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yes, yes, excellent. Nice. Every week in Ardskull, students have started to host conversations about what they can do to tackle nature loss and climate change. Uh, this is the third meeting of the Climate Cafe, I think, so far. They call it the Climate Cafe. It's a space for them to learn and to act. What's your name? Uh, Ruth Stone. Ruth, and why are you part of the Climate Cafe? Um, I just think that it's important for us to like focus on this topic. If we don't act now, we're not. We're literally not going to have a planet to live on. What's your name? Quivian uh, O'Leary. Can you just? Explain what happens at climate cafes apart from eating lovely biscuits that I see in the corner of my eye. Yeah, well, so there'd be a presentation or two by different people each week. Afterwards, we might get into discussions about all the things about the presentation and what we can and can't do. What, sorry, what's your name? Uh, Conor McCoskey. Do you think enough is done in the school curriculum on this topic? No, not at all. Half people I know don't know anything about the environment. It's so important for the future. What's your name? My name is Finn Kelly. Well, I hear things on the news like, uh, oh, you know, the glacier, we might have glacier melting in 2050, or we might have this environmental disaster in 2060. But I just kind of think, I'll be 46 by then. This could affect me later in life, so why aren't I doing anything about it now? Hey guys, okay, look, thanks a million for coming to have a chat with us. Good to kind of get this the same community together. 
The students are the ones who are taking the lead here and they're being supported all the way by their science teacher, Dr Patrick Kerwin. He and other teachers around Ireland have set up a new group called the Irish Schools Sustainability Network. They have high hopes for 2022. We wanted to get a group of teachers together to really start an education revolution. What's happening on the ground in schools, we're not changing. And we're not talking about it in a way that is activating kids and empowering them to take action. There is an epidemic of anxiety in our schools. Every single class I had last year had a child who was out because they're too anxious to come to school. And what I see in a very, very, very short space of time is that when you talk to the students and engage them on what's happening on a world global scale and at a community level too, the students are interested. They are having fun, they're building skills and they're making change. I mean, <laughs> that's brilliant. You have a bunch of letters there, handwritten letters from the students. Can you just explain what they are? Part of that action was for the students to articulate how they feel about the climate and nature emergency and to share that with TDs and councillors so they can get an idea of what the students are feeling. So this is one letter from a third year student. Dear TD, I'm writing to you today because of the worries I have for my future. By 2030, if we don't start acting faster, the world will slowly start to die and we won't be able to do anything about it. I want to have a good future with a healthy earth, but you don't seem to be too worried. And just another quote uh, from another third year student, and I won't read all of it, but it just starts off, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the future. The Irish School Sustainability Network, it's born out of a group of teachers around Ireland who really believe that the curriculum needs to change, that climate and nature needs to be much more to the forefront of the curriculum. What kind of change are you asking for? Transformational change. And that basically means that sustainability is a top priority for schools. Education is about preparing our students for the future. If we are not talking about this, we are not doing our jobs. What are we here for? Um, I'm Tess Hartley. I'm Matthew Murray. From when I joined, it was a really small group, and to see like how many people actually know about it now and how many people are in it is just amazing. Why are you doing this? Because it's affecting us, and we can see it. We can see storms around the world. We can see floods, and I think it's about time, really, that we actually do something in the school, in Waterford, in the community. Uh, we're looking at start, starting a tree planting campaign. We're looking at getting 10% of the school to plant a tree. So when you make a change in your actions, like you make a change for like the world to be a better place so like you make the world a better place like it's good uh, my name is Ashley Milner I'm a fifth year student in art school and my wish is that we could get a more biodiverse town with more trees more plants the main street in town has now been pedestrianized so I think we could build off the initial work that they're doing and make Tremor a lovely, vibrant town because at the minute it's a bit bleak. Do you think we need to rethink our relationship with nature in Ireland? A hundred percent. Like we, it's, it's almost like we're like bullies to nature at the moment, you know? It gives us everything, it, it feeds you, it clothes you, it does everything for you and yet you still like trample on it, you still cut your grass even though it's not even that long, you still don't bother to plant trees, you put your litter on the floor. You, like you're almost bully in nature, even though it's been here way longer than you, it's way older than you, and there's no reason you should. Like, you're not better than them.
my wish for 2022 is that all schools have a sustainability policy that every school has a sustainability lead with someone who has the expertise and actually that person can actually within a school look at procurement look at the buildings look at nature in the school look at the curriculum and start to weave sustainability into the fabric of school life and eventually hopefully that position is dissolved because it's just a part of what we do and we've built the confidence of teachers and the students and we've put all those mechanisms in place. And that was teacher Dr Patrick Kirwan of the Irish School Sustainability Network ending that report by Ella McSweeney. You can find out more. Um, they're active on Twitter. Sticking with the sustainability issue, what's a micro-business? Well, we learned this week that a micro-business is a company with fewer than 10 employees. And across rural Ireland, micro-enterprises are key to providing goods and services as well as much-needed local employment. Like in every county, the local enterprise office is waiting to help these small businesses, enterprises and family-run operations reboot for 2022. Well, joining me is Podrick McElwee, who is the Head of Enterprise in County Clare and Chair of the Network of Local Enterprise Offices, uh, known as LEOs. Uh, good morning, Porrick. Morning, Damien. Will you give me examples of micro-businesses and how important they are? you know, in, in rural Ireland, in places like Clare? Uh, I suppose, Damien, every, we see the small micro-businesses in every town and village throughout Ireland, and they've been really key a, to providing local employment. And they probably played a big role during COVID because uh, suddenly people realised the importance of these businesses to their local communities and towns. Um, and probably from our point of view, it's given our young people an option to remain in their local communities. It gives them a job opportunity. They may or may not want to take that, but at least they have the option. Yeah, you mentioned COVID and there are businesses all over the country looking for financial support now to, to kickstart again. Do, do you provide funding or how do you work with them? We work with uh, micro-businesses at a variety of levels and, for example, if you're thinking of starting a business or a small business, your first option is come and have a conversation with your local enterprise office and then we'll decide with you what is the best route for you to take. So, for example, that might be participate in a Start Your Own Business course, which really gives you the nuts and bolts of starting a business. And I would encourage anybody thinking of starting business, that course is really critical because mm. that'll really tell you what you need to know. And sometimes people start a business, they're, they're so enthusiastic, they believe it's going to be the best thing in the world. But sometimes they need to face reality and what are the practicalities? Like, what is your product or service? Who's going to buy it from you? And very importantly, will you make enough money to put food on your table? So... For a micro-business owner listening to us this morning, let's say somebody that's just started a business or thinking of starting a business now in 2022, maybe from their own kitchen or from the garden shed or whatever, is there criteria that they need to have met before they can walk into your office uh, to, to have you work with them? And I mean, that's a good point. Sometimes people decide they're not eligible for any support from the local enterprise office, and that is the wrong approach. What they need to do is have a conversation with us and we can then decide what way we can support them. So, for example, is it training? 
can we provide them with expert mentoring support? Can we provide them with funding support? So for example, during particularly during COVID, uh, a lot of businesses, a lot of micro business needed to move online very quickly. Like we helped over 17,000 businesses develop an online presence, which really became critical to them being able to trade, particularly during the early stages of lockdown. So it's important, get in touch with your local enterprise office, have the conversation and let's go from there. Now, do you help existing businesses? You know, it's not just startups that you actually help out because there's a lot of businesses now, as you said, they're pivoting, they're, they're going online. They want to be more sustainable to attract customers who are becoming more discerning in that regard. So you could be in business 10 or 15 years, but if you're still below 10 employees, are you able to help them? Yeah, definitely. Come and have a chat with us. And it, it's interesting, just your previous piece there in the Climate Cafe. We're doing a lot of work now with small micro businesses around the whole area of sustainability. But what our focus is on is making practical changes. Because as you well know, there's all this talk about climate change. And sometimes you, a business thinks, well, that doesn't affect me or what can I do about this? On our Green for Micro program, we'll actually give you a two-day consultancy to go in and, for want of a better word, take a helicopter view of your business and look and see where the opportunities lie for you to make very important changes. And particularly that saves you costs and from our point of view, which is a positive thing, improves your profitability. Yeah, no, that's that's good to know because a lot of businesses are going to have to change how they operate in, into the future and they don't really know where to look. So their local enterprise office is a good starting point. So um, how can people get in touch with you? If you go to, the easiest way is go to localenterprise.ie and then select the county you're in. So for example, if you live in Clare, you get in touch with ourselves here in Clare. Or if you're up in Mayo, you get in touch with the Mayo office. So localenterprise.ie, easiest way to start. And there's one in every county. Patrick, it's great talking to you. Thanks very much for joining us on the programme and a happy new year to you and the very best to look uh, in your work in the year ahead. You're listening to Countrywide here on RTE Radio 1. Countrywide on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by the Irish Farmers Journal. Now with our highest ever readership of 321,000 weekly readers. Well, you don't need reminding. It's been a difficult few weeks right across the country, courtesy of Omicron variant of COVID-19. And in the course of this wave of the pandemic, and like all the other waves, the kindness of our neighbours has been important. So Jane Clark lives in Wicklow. Her new poem, Fences, reflects on neighbours. Evening draws us home as lights flicker on in the houses scattered along the by-road. One of our neighbours will be calling children for dinner. Another will be locking in hens, then closing a rain-swollen door and healing off their wellingtons. We need gorse hedges, sheep wire fences, lengths of post and rail. But what makes good neighbours is the search for the cat gone missing, the loan of a pickaxe, a push downhill for the car that won't start. And when snow lies frozen in three foot drifts, the current bread left on a doorstep. 
Jane Clark reading from her poem Fences and Jane's poem um, is a reminder that there have been wintry conditions across the country particularly in the last 24 hours a lot of snow around the place and there's a great photo on the front of the Irish Times of a a collie dog being driven through the snow and hanging out the window of the car uh, to see the road ahead and maybe the wintry weather will inspire you to bake bread or indeed look in uh, on your neighbours. A great photograph indeed uh, there by uh, Niall Carson. Now, as it's our first show of the new year, we thought we'd look ahead to some of the challenges and opportunities which face farmers and food producers against the backdrop of reducing emissions while continuing to provide us with fresh, safe food and, of course, sustaining their own livelihoods, which is the heartbeat of rural communities, not only in Ireland, but indeed right across the European Union. Now, joining me are Diana Lindsay, who's president of CJA, which is the umbrella body for young farmer lobby groups right across Europe. Catherine Cleary is a journalist, author and broadcaster. And Phelan O'Neill, markets intelligence specialist with the Irish Farmers Journal. You're all very welcome to the programme. Delighted to have you on this first programme of the year. Phelan, uh, I'm going to begin with you. Before we look forward, let's briefly look back. 2021 has been such a challenging year for so many sectors of the economy. But what sort of year has it been for Irish agriculture and food producers? Uh, Good morning, Damien, and Happy New Year. Yeah, 2021, when we look back on it, uh, and I think in time, the further we we come away from it, we look back on it even more fondly. It was, in some respects, uh, a pretty perfect year for agriculture from the point of view that we had reasonably strong markets across the, the main commodities of uh, meat and dairy. Uh, difficulties in the pig meat sector, particularly in the second half of the year, and they're going through a particularly horrendous period at present, uh, and, so, and the same with poultry. But overall, for Irish farmers, uh, 2021 would have to be classified as a reasonably good year because markets were good. Whether the sun shone when it was required, we had rain when it was required, uh, it was pretty good conditions. Yeah, that's it's a remarkable achievement, Phelan, when you consider that food processors were hit by staff shortages due to COVID. Mart sales went online, huge change in that regard. And, you know, gatherings and meetings and knowledge transfer events were, were cancelled. It's, it's really interesting that farming had such a, a good year against that backdrop. But with input costs gone through the roof, and farmers listening can tell you all about the cost of fertiliser now, are there bigger challenges and roadblocks ahead in 2022? I think that's very much steam in the cloud that's on the horizon and, and maybe closer to us than on the horizon at the moment for anyone that's trying to buy fertilizers, the spying diesel, energy costs, input costs have all escalated. And you're right, you know, the, the pandemic has shown us uh, that amongst the many frontline workers that we have, I suppose farmers are the first link in the food chain. And farmers found a way to adapt uh, their business, uh, doing business through marks, going online, etc. They found a way to adapt to ensure that the supply chain was kept going from their end. And indeed, then on into the processing sector where the factory workers as well, they had their difficulties, but they did manage to keep going. Going into 2022, then, the big challenge is, you know, when, uh, it's, a, it's a great one in, in terms of uh, reliability of energy supply. You know, we've had serious uh, threats to it, if you like, in the last months of 2021. We've seen the costs escalate, and we're going to find that uh, when we come to putting the fuel in our cars, when we come to putting the, the oil in our tanks or, or energy for heating and our light. 
And that will apply, of course, to farmers too on a much larger scale because not only have the domestic side of their livelihood, they have also their farms to operate. And that is the big challenge going into the year ahead that any gains in price that were achieved in 21 are very quickly eaten up by escalating costs. Yeah, it's a cyclical nature indeed of of farming. Um, Catherine Cleary, you've written an awful lot about ways that Irish farmers can reinvent themselves and diversify and you've met uh, such farmers around the country indeed. But... Of course, farmers need to be financially sustainable as well. So what do you say to a young dairy or young beef farmer about to take over the family farm? Good morning, Damien. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting time and Happy New Year to everybody. It has been a very challenging year and I was really struck by that teacher in art school, Namara, talking about one child in every class not able to come to school because they are anxious. So, mm. you know, on one side, we have a balance sheet that's looking healthy for farming But I think on the other side, we have the reality of uh, the challenges ahead, which, you know, as I speak, the rain is tipping out of the sky and we have soils that are much less able to take those quantities of rain. So, you know, it's very, the fertiliser issue is a really interesting one because I think that's where a more sustainable, regenerative approach to farming can really um, show benefits to a farmer's pocket in that I think RT ran a story during the week about a dairy farmer in Limerick who's using clover to replace nitrogen, uh, synthetic nitrogen mm. fertilizer, because clover fixes nitrogen. So there are all nature has all of these fixes, um, and we need to use a lot of those uh, to to transition farmers to a point where they are farming more with high nature value farming. Because that's not something that's just a sort of a sentimental oh, isn't that that would be a lovely idea? It's actually a better income for a farmer because when you get to the scenario where you're farming within the footprint of the resources of your farm, then your input costs are dropping through the floor and the product that you're selling at the other end of that is also rising in price because those are the products that consumers want to buy. Yeah. Interesting you mentioned there that farmer because you know, throughout last year, every farm that I would I would visit, big or small, dairy, beef, whatever, you know, the sustainability and environmental question would always be asked. And the farmers were always able to point to something that they are doing new, um, particularly young farmers, uh, buffer zones, multi-sward species, um, low emission slurry spreading, da-da-da-da-da. There's, there's an awful lot, it seems to be going on. But there seems to be, that message or that image, is not, it doesn't seem to be getting out there. There seems to be a great divide and sometimes bitter debate about the future direction of farming and, and the image that's painted of Irish agriculture. Um, do you think it's a little bit unfair when you see, as you said, what, what's going on on some farms and in individual farms around the country? Yeah, I think I'd love to hear more from individual farmers. And I was writing for the Irish Times um, last week's edition, 50 People to Watch. And I had the pleasure of speaking to uh, Joe and Eva Riley, who are farmers in Mayo. They're using a seven and a half acre field um, to farm uh, as a market garden. Glossary is the name of their business. And they employ six people on seven and a half acres um, with no subsidies, with no, you know, no taxpayer is is subsidising that. And that's the exciting stories that I'd love to hear from Mm. Irish farmers talking about uh, a farming system that benefits people, planet, animals um, and everybody benefits from that system because the food that's produced by that system is far more nutritious, is far better for us. You know, they are struck by the uh, the 49 cent deals in the supermarkets, mm. which is breaking the heart of the horticulture industry at the moment. Uh, but actually, they find that their consumer isn't really interested in buying those because... 
you know, we see those what, for what they are. They're a footfall driver and we usually spend the savings on something else in the middle aisle. So I think consumers are thinking a lot more about food. Certainly COVID has forced people to, you know, from queuing at supermarkets in the very severe lockdowns, um, we spend a lot more time and we've engaged a lot more locally with local yeah. food producers. Uh, and that's a huge, that's a huge good news story for Irish farming. Okay. And before I go to Diana, I just want to go back to Phelan. Phelan, on that uh, that issue, Catherine talks about regenerative farming and, and what's happening on a farm in Mayo there on seven acres but we like is that is that a realistic option or alternative for the majority we'll say of dairy farmers or beef farmers there's a place for that type of enterprise and every other type of enterprise that exists out there there's absolutely no question about that uh, but focusing on mainstream farming and I think Catherine made a point there about you know the, the stories that she hears about the good work that's been done and you made a very good point about how you go out and what you see being done and I think there's a message here perhaps it is that mainstream farming fails to communicate the positive things that they are doing to address the whole question of climate environment etc. So much is going on and not talked about and maybe it needs to be publicised a bit more and again just picking up on the other point there, you know, Catherine made about the, the rain lashing, you know, that's, that's was one of our great natural resources in this country, uh, the water and grass, and that's what enables us to have the family farm structure that we have. Now, we have to manage that in the way that is most sustainable. And again, the point that's made about clover swords, etc., mixed sward grazing, that's something that is being adapted. And indeed, it's something that we in the Farmers Journal, along with KPNG, produced a report during the year, identifying, making that same point, just how much, how it could be a win-win situation where we could reduce the emissions from Irish agriculture parallel to making good savings on farm. Now, the thing is, this takes time. You know, we have the targets now in place for what has to be done. Uh, We now need to have the framework and the strategy to deliver those. It's not just enough to set targets. We need to get the roadmap in place to get in there and and to do that. And we have identified certainly how we could achieve a reduction of up to 18% uh, reduction in emissions that would benefit farmers along the way as well. And I think that's the picture that we need to focus on. And perhaps from a farming point of view, we need to be better at explaining what we do uh, rather than sitting back and let the debate go on without us. Okay, well, I'm going to move on. Speaking of family farms, Diana Lindsay uh, runs the family winery in beautiful Siena in uh, Tuscany. And as I said, she's also the uh, president of SAGE, the Young Farmers European Umbrella Organisation. It's great to have you on the programme. You represent, as I said, Diana, Young Farmers, farmers across Europe and when we highlight issues in Ireland, be it in housing, health or or farming, we tend to feel that we are unique. But for example, do you see common challenges for young Italian farmers, the same sort of challenges that you hear uh, that Irish young farmers are having? Um, Well, thank you, Damien, for having me this morning. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, to be on your first show of the year. Uh, Definitely. There is a common thread when it comes to challenges for young farmers across Europe. Um, There's, of course, differences that come from our regional differences, but there is a common thread when it comes to what the big challenges are. Um, Anytime we touch upon the topic of access to land, that is most definitely one of our biggest roadblocks. And may it be in Italy, Belgium, Ireland or Poland, it always seems to be an incredible roadblock when it comes to someone young who isn't from the farming system specifically, so someone who does not have land, to actually be able to have the capacity, um, financial capacity, to access land um, in Europe. So that is most definitely probably something that commons us a lot, and it's one of the big subjects we often have to touch upon when uh, we discuss within our members in SEJA. Yeah. 
Now, now emissions targets, as we've been speaking about, they've been set and new EU policies hopefully will entice production to become more uh, less intensive. It'll be the young European farmers of today that you represent that will deliver these targets over the next 20, 30, 40 years. Are these targets achievable? Are young farmers ready uh, to engage in this? I would definitely answer yes to your second question. We are absolutely ready to engage uh, and to find the practical solutions that can bring us um, to the achievement of these objectives because they're very high. Um, The standards that are being put, the bar is being raised really, really high at this moment. And there is a, a common feeling that it is important to shift the way we produce, to be more sustainable, to be more respectful of what is our most pres- precious resource, which is our earth, our planet. Uh, we need healthy soils, we need healthy air, we need healthy plants in order to deliver safe um, and nutritious and sufficient food for Europe and for the world. So this is our big challenge and it is something we absolutely feel we want to engage in. Uh, Having said that, because this is such an ambitious project, it really needs the know-how, the experience, the capacity of the farming system to help find those practical solutions, those um, solutions that can be applied, the ones that can actually deliver to the objective and just aren't, let's say, theoretical models that could instead, in return, destroy the system. Yeah, and just before we go back to Catherine and Phelan, can I ask you again about the image of farming? Is it damaged and is it putting off young people going into the business? And is that contributing to the broader problem of attracting young people into farming? I truly believe it is. Um, I think that for many years uh, there has been probably not the best farming system being put into place and this of course has brought to some negative externalities that we cannot uh, deny. So there has been a negative impact coming from the farming system. But so much has changed in even just the last 10 years in how we produce and how animal welfare is uh, treated and becomes an issue in how we resort to more sustainable practices. And none of that is being instead um, communicated. And of course, I think farmers are probably the worst communicators in the world. We kind of like just sit in our farms and it's really hard for us to to go out there and to react sometimes to to the fact that normally what hits the press is a negative story in farming and not that positive instead example that can come. So I believe that because the objectives are so broad, but regard everyone, we need to work together with civil society, with the world of consumers in order to achieve these objectives. Because if we produce in a more sustainable way, it means that also the producers need to understand that the consumers, that they are receiving more sustainable food. Mm. And this is something that they need to acknowledge, that they need to stand by and therefore work in, let's say, in an alliance with us. Yeah, just on that, Catherine, is is social media driving a culture war here? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's worth remembering that a small fraction of people are actually on social media and those voices can get very loud and very angry at times, especially around the farming debate. And it's great to hear Diana as a young woman farmer, because I think there is a growing um, interest among women in farming and in farming differently as well. I mean, going back to Phelan's point about, you know, the kind of, and it's something that I, I get a lot when I talk about these very sustainable Irish farms getting great prices for their products um, and, and people say, say, oh, well, that's a niche market. I mean, I'm not sure there's any other business model that looks at a, an incredibly successful business and says, let's let's keep that as a niche. I mean, I think the focus has to be from a policy point of view, from a consumer point of view, from farmers' point of view, of how to make those sustainable, profitable, happy farms the mainstream uh, farming the activity that we do in this country. You know, a, the commo- it's, it's, the it's, commodity market is under threat from all kinds of uh, futures, including technology. I mean, technology is coming for our, <coughs> our dinner plates in a way that I think in 10 years' time is going to transform yeah. the commodity well, market. There, but there's so, an awful lot of, of reversal and unwinding to do there because we export literally billions of euros worth of um, uh, meat and, and uh, dairy products all across uh, the world. Mm-hmm. So, so how how do you how do you unwind all of that over a short period of time? Well, I think you look at the price that farmers are getting for that product. So, most of the meat, the meat, and especially in the beef sector, that's not a sustainable income for beef farmers. Uh, so, you know, there an unwinding for that of that sector for beef farmers may not be a terrible story. It may be a terrible story for the processors and for, you know, the the, uh, the vested interests that make a lot of money from volume sales. But smaller and better sales of food to more local and connected communities is where uh, you know a a farming community like Ireland can really yeah. uh, lead the world and, and say, look, this is, we've tried this, you know, the 1970s approach of growing everything and making everything bigger. And, you know, this is where our emissions levels are getting us. And while Phelan is right, you know, we aren't hearing enough about the good things that farmers are doing, but actually the reality is emissions are still growing. So we need to hear that changing okay, before Phelan. that story is fully told. Okay, Phelan, what, what about that you know, I don't think it has to be an either or situation uh, that what we would call conventional farming has to give way and uh, leave a vacuum uh, into which uh, these other enterprises will go. I think they can develop side by side with each other. And ultimately, everything is market led. And, you know, we have a big ambition in the next strategy, the strategy to 2030, uh, to grow organic uh, production in Ireland fourfold uh, from about 2% land use to 8% land use. And, you know, if the market can be found for that and it is there, that will happen and that will be no problem. And what we find at the minute is I think that we have a number of what we would call smaller specialist enterprises, if we don't want to call them niche enterprises, uh, that have very good business and very good direct consumer uh, sales uh, avenues and all of those things and are, are working very hard in building that. Now, if we try to switch to move everything into that space, then it becomes very crowded and, it, and the objective that we want to achieve uh, perhaps gets lost. But I think going back to mainstream agriculture, you know, we're now at the, at the centenary point uh, and looking back over that 100 years, no sector has evolved as much uh, as in line with what was required by society at the given time as agriculture. You know, it went through uh, the stage into from a highly labour-intensive industry into the mechanisation. Yes, we had the 70s and 80s when we had the rapid growth in production. That's what the market signal was at the time. Uh, we pulled out hedges, we made fields bigger, we drained land, etc. 
that was the what, what was the, the, what was to be done then, and now we are somewhat unwinding that in that we have a rewetting program uh, that we are encouraging planting of landscapes. And again, I come back to the point of communication that so many farms are doing so much of this, and perhaps, and again, in an organisation like ours, perhaps we should be looking at that as well. That we need to communicate that more. Uh, what is actually being done across all Irish farms, not just the handful or the few or the specialist ones. Right. Okay. Well, the word communication has been mentioned quite a lot this morning by all three of you and listening to all three of you maybe you should get together yourselves and create something uh, to tell the story of farming big small uh, European and Irish um, wine growing and beef farming and all of that Sorry, into the future just come in. It's, not, it's not to say that, that big farming is bad I think big I farming is actually the fix for, for climate especially the you know the potential of soil to yeah. sequester carbon sure. is phenomenal right. and if we can transform that we have one of the biggest and longest standing agroforestry trials in Loch Gaul, uh, Dr. Okay. Jim McAdam, you know, you can plant trees and still have livestock farming going on and okay. you can, your life, your product can be carbon neutral okay. at well, the look end at, of that. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a topic we will return to uh, certainly in the future and throughout 2022. It's been great chatting to you all. Catherine Cleary, uh, Diana Lenzi in Tuscany in Italy and Phelan O'Neill in County Tyrone. Thank you all for joining us on the programme this morning. Well, the new year is all about fresh starts and new beginnings. And when she retired last November as captain of the Irish Women's rugby team, Kira Griffin returned to her native Kerry and her farming roots to consider what to do next. Well, Marty Morrissey dropped by to see her and as they walked the land her father Dennis farms near Ballymagelligat in County Kerry, they talked about farming, about the future and about rugby. Marty asked Kira to describe that moment in 2016 when she was first capped for Ireland. Um, it was absolutely amazing, Marty, that feeling of running onto that pitch in Donnybrook and hearing your name over the intercom and you're getting your first cap for Ireland at, twi- at, you know, at, at, at 20, 21. So it was just ah, dreams are made of that stuff, you know. Emotional, tears. Yeah, as, as you probably know from Emer and a lot of the girls will tell you, I, I wear my heart in my sleeve. I, uh, I'm, in a, I, I'm quite an emotional person. Um, and yeah, that was quite an emotional time for me. I played my last game for Ireland there against Japan in November and that was tough as well but it was the right time for me, right time for me personally. Then Kira Griffin's just hunching around the edges as he knows that they're going to kick. When you watch that Kira, what's, what's going through your mind? Great finish. What a team performance we had that day. And it's with the captain again, she's looking for a second try, I think she's down. You heard the crowd there, they were amazing and uh, goosebumps, you know, that, that gives me goosebumps still. Uh, I think it will for a long time. My sisters are there, my mum, my dad, Damien, my uh, family were there. It was, it was a really, really special day. In terms of women's rugby, is it in a better place now? It's growing nationally in that you can see in, in all the different areas and provinces, you can see a lot of girls taking it up. Um, and look, I think we need to see more people coming up through their systems and get those feeder systems in place and, and get those structures in place that you know you can have a clear feeder system from club to province to international, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that needs to be looked at and I, I hope it is it is looked at to make sure we can keep driving the standard rugby here in this country. Oh. Oh. These are 
there's there's just some uh, whalings now, some heifers that we have for the for the winter. Just being weathered now, they have a nice nice lifestyle. <laughs> being uh, fed waters, um, they, we have a bit of a wintering paddock outside here as well. I did it this year with um, kind of with bark and everything, so it's very handy. It's good for their feet. Mm. You know, it's not often you find sometimes animals when they're on simming for a long time, you find it in their feet. They get sore, they get lame, and at least by being able to go in and out from boat, it gives a bit of respite as well. This particular uh, calf. Mm-hmm. It's on his own. On his own. Some of his buddies are in the shed <laughs> and some of the buddies are out in the feeding area, out in the, the resting paddock. Um, and this one is obviously extra, is hungry, so he's making sure he's getting his, her belly worth. Well, fair pleasure. <laughs> Will we go in here? Yeah, no problem. Well, you can see here, there's a good, this is where they all are. They're all lying. Um, good sign. They're, they're content, they're happy. Uh, you can see there, there's a, nearly a shed full oh. of them inside there, Marty. So they were hiding. Um, so they're all just resting there now. They're they're whalings. They're they're dairy heifers again. So they'll hopefully be put in calf um, next summer. Summer coming, and hopefully first time calvers in next spring. Next spring, spring twelve months. I love farming. I'm very very lucky to be from a farming background and a farming family. My nan and granda, uh, granda unfortunately passed away in summer, but we um we were farming. They were farming cordial. <laughs> we go on holidays to Nan and Grandad's to go farming. Um, so it was I like the Griffin family, yeah. I have to yeah. say. So that was brilliant. We'd go for a few weeks of the summer and we'd like a few weeks we'd ship ourselves off over to Cordell and we'd absolutely love it. And you'd yeah. spend the days out with Grandad doing jobs or Michael, my uncle, and or Nana as well with calves. Nana was like, Nana's the best partner I've ever met to rear calves. She was, any calf that wouldn't drink, she got him drinking. Do you know, she's yeah. class yeah. and... Uh, but then, like, Granda too, like, he'd show you the ways, and my uncle, too, shows you a lot. So it's very good. That's what I love about farming. They, it's, it's a real mentorship. And when you say you go on holidays to your grandparents, uh, tell us how far away they are from here. <laughs> um, Nana and Granda were uh, 15, maybe 10, 15 minutes <laughs> over past Castle Island in Gordle. But uh, I used to love it. I'd be packing for days, getting ready to go over, <laughs> make sure I make sure I had enough farming clothes, and then with the Sunday clothes, you know, ready for Sunday mass and going out to Clarny after. Yeah. Um, oh, it was the highlight of our summer, to be honest. We yeah, would yeah. count down the days to go over on holidays, and you'd be very sad leaving. But you sometimes you go on a few holidays, you go over a few times during the summer, um, and it was fantastic and such an easy way, do you know, to, it's such a simple thing to do. But they're the best memories you've had. Like, do you know, it's like we used to always go on like cross country walks. Grand would show you the, the wit and breadth of the countryside. Um, just, just, just going for walks and chats and showing you the different history of the area. Um, and you just picked up so much. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah, fantastic memories. Most young people would say, "Well, let's go on holidays to Lanzarote, for instance, <laughs> right?" But no, you went down ten minutes down the road to your grandparents to court to work. Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't change a thing. To be honest, I'm, I'm not made for the sun. I'm not made, made for the sun. So I'll take an active holiday or farming any day. To be honest, and. Um, yeah, it was absolutely amazing. It's it's there are memories, you know, that now when you're looking back at you realise how lucky you are. Mm. Um, because you just got such um you got, you know, you, you were given such freedom, but you were given such uh, encouragement as well from a young age and you were just given I suppose the confidence to back yourself and to back that you you are, you can farm, you know what to mm. do, mm. um and just back yourself and do it. And Kira, what was the one thing you learned from your grandparents and from your dad about farming and the one mistake maybe? that you learned? Um, so it's one thing you learned is just um, kind of have patience. Mm. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't always happen mm. in the day, like, and you have to patience and work hard. 
like you get out of it what you put into it like like everything in life you know like with sport like with your training and same with farming what you put into it you will get out of it and I suppose uh, a mistake I don't think the Griffins make mistakes Marty to be honest oh no I knew that not a chance either on or off the field not at all Kira, I've only just met you and even I know you're not going to sit back I just know your character. So what are you going to do when you come back home? You're a primary school teacher. Uh, you're married. You have a new home that you're building, I know. What's next? Um, to be honest, I just love to go do my green search and, and get that done. It's something it's always been on my bucket list. So that's the next step. And we'll go from there once that's done. You know, it's 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 good experience. And then I want to get into a bit of, you know, a bit of running. Uh, see maybe when once COVID calms down see some of the world I haven't seen much of it too, as, you, as you know if I'm going 10 minutes over the road for my summer holidays um, so I'd love you're to finally going to go to Lanzarote are you? Oh, I don't know maybe we might try New Zealand Marty we'll try there's some nice farms down there uh, so I'll go a bit further um, and just enjoy that and have the time at home and maybe play a bit of football um, with my local club again, Castle and Desmond's and just, and just enjoy it and mm. just you know play for play for the fun of it. I hope your husband is a farmer, is he? Oh, he is, he is, don't worry. Thank yeah. God. <laughs> he's farming and he's an engineer as well, so he's a he's a busy man, a very patient man uh, all these years, but uh, no, looking forward now to our next chapter together and just we'll start the next stage. And the very best of luck to Kira and her husband Damien. She was in conversation there with Marty Morrissey. That's all we have time for this week. Coming up to, after the Nine News, playback here in Radio 1. And for more farming and rural stories, Ear to the Ground on RT1 TV on Thursday at 7pm. I'll talk to you at the same time next week. Bye bye and thanks for listening. Countrywide on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by the Irish Farmers Journal. Now with our highest ever readership of 321,000 weekly readers. Payment of the local property tax for 2022 is due by Wednesday the 12th of January. If you haven't yet paid or made arrangements to pay or haven't already filed your LPT return, please do so now. The easiest way to file and pay is online through My Account, Ross or the LPT portal. If you select the annual debit instruction option, your payment won't be debited until the 21st of March. If you need help or can't go online, call Revenue on 01 738 the Holland and Barrett One Cent Sale is back with buy one get one for just one cent on vitamin C, manuka honey, natural skincare, and much more. And you can even mix and match. Shop in store or at hollandandbarrett.ie. Ends 8th of February 2022. Selected items, cheapest item, one cent, subject to availability. Click and Collect is now available at your nearest Tesco. Get your shopping freshly clicked and freshly picked. Ready for you to park and pick up outside the store. Shop online and book your slot for free today at tesco.ie. Tesco. Every little helps. Now on RTE Radio 1 at 9 o'clock, it's over to Susan Jackson in the newsroom. Good morning. The headlines. From today, all 5 to 11-year-olds will be offered a primary dose of COVID-19 vaccine. A man in his 30s remains in custody at Ennis Gartha Station following the death of a 78-year-old man in County Clare. And lawyers for the tennis player Novak Djokovic say he had a vaccine exemption to enter Australia after a COVID infection last month. 
The vaccination programme against coronavirus is being extended today. The number of people infected is above 20,000. Karen Creed reports. As uncertainty continues around when this Omicron wave will peak, the number of daily COVID cases remains high. 21,926 cases of COVID-19 were reported yesterday evening. Since 8 o'clock last night, 865 people are being treated in hospital with COVID-19, 84 of whom are in intensive care. In Northern Ireland, for the first time in almost six months, no deaths linked to coronavirus were reported. Ireland's vaccination programme is being extended today to all children aged between 5 and 11. The rollout of the COVID-19 vaccination for 5 to 11-year-olds who have a high-risk health condition or who live with a person considered higher risk is already underway. The first dose of children's coronavirus vaccines will be given at HSE vaccination centres and once a parent or guardian registers them, they will receive a text message with details of their appointment. The Chief Medical Officer, Dr Tony Houlihan, has highlighted the importance of having this protection, stating while most children in this age group will experience a very mild form of the disease, for a small number they may become severely ill. A man in his 30s remains in custody at Ennis Gartha station following the death of a 78-year-old man in County Clare. The body of the man, named locally as John O'Neill, was found at a bed and breakfast he ran on St Brendan's Road in Liston Varney yesterday morning. Gartha suspect he may have been the victim of an assault. They said the results of a post-mortem examination would determine the course of their investigation. The authorities in Kazakhstan have detained the former head of the National Security Committee and other officials on suspicion of treason. It comes following days of street violence prompted by an increase in fuel prices that has developed into a broader protest against the country's president and government. Russia has sent 2,500 troops to Kazakhstan for what it described as peacekeeping. The US Secretary of State Antony Blinken has questioned Russian involvement. It would seem to me that the Kazakh authorities and government certainly have the capacity to deal appropriately with protests, to do so in a way that respects the rights of protesters.